have I got a treat for you. Well, I've gone and got the old band back together, haven't I? Hey, eh? <laughs> this, this is the voice of Daniel Gardner. But if, if over the last few weeks you've been noticing I've, I've sounded a little flat or perhaps just, you know, like a little bit tired and feeling the age, it's because I haven't been for reasons that coronavirus has to answer for. I haven't had the support of my, well, look, we've got some great guests on Witch Car Weekly in the last few months, but let's be honest, none are as good as, as the regulars. So it is with enormous pleasure that for the first time in a long time, I can welcome back in the same place at the same time, virtually, wonderful Scott Newman and Andy Enright all at the same time. Hooray! Yeah, oh, the, uh, well, the, the this is good the to be back. That literally, single digits of people have been waiting for. <laughs> 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 yes, but now they'll be flocking back in literally tens. Well, my mum well, my, my will start listening, listening again. Like, no offence, Dan, but she, she decided to boycott while I wasn't on. So, but, you know, she's, That's she's, totally fine. My mum has decided to boycott even when I am on, so that's okay. <laughs> she listens to the one you're, ones you're not on. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, the pair of you. Honestly, you're already back and I'm already sick of you. Um, no, it's, it's lovely to have us all back. Look, guys, it's been a funny few months, um, you know, with all the developments going on around the world and our company, but I'm, I'm very happy that we're, we're able to do this again and long may it continue. So... Gentlemen, let's not waste too much time looking at the past because you can't change a bloody thing looking back there. Let's look to the future and all the wonderful things that we can expect over the next few months when eventually this scourge clears off. We're going to start as we typically do with something that's fairly current and news related. Um, and let's jump straight in with that. Um, Ford Australia has a new CEO. Now, this is obviously very interesting stuff because not only is any um, mainstream manufacturer in Australia uh, a, a critical part of our, our motoring fabric and um, when they get a new CEO or upper management that's significant but of course Ford is is more interesting even more so because of the position it's in only a few years ago we lost local manufacturing um, and if you compare this with the trajectory of of course another major uh, and much loved Australian brand Holden then people immediately ask questions and make comparisons so let's dive straight into it new Ford CEO what on earth is going on there Okay, who wants to take this? Andy, or you want me to take it? We're very organised. We're already so organised. All right. Well, first thing we should do is work out how to pronounce the new guy's name. Um, well, any, so I don't any... know that, so... Right. All right. Well, I'm going to try. It is... So it's Andrew. There you go. Easy. No, but the surname <laughs> is... I think it's Birchick. 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 I'm going to go with Birchick. Anyway, I mean, that's... Okay, we've already failed Andy. the first... Let's we'll call Andrew. Andrew. Andrew Ford. Yeah, good old Andy. Good old Andy B. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so yeah. so we'll, we should probably first. Um, thankfully, Kay Hart is moving on of her own volition. She's not, you know, nothing terrible has happened to her, which is good. Um, so she took over a couple of years back, which is interesting. It's interesting in itself in that usually it's a three-year tenure. You know, if everything yeah. sort of goes well, and I believe it's been two, just under two, maybe. Um, she's off to Europe to take a fairly. Um, substantial role in their commercial vehicles department, which is, you know, well done, yeah. Kay. Good work. That's, I suppose that's a pat on the back it's, it's for, been, for her. It builds as a promotion, hasn't it? Yeah. Good. Yep. Um, going to play with transit vans in Europe. That'll be cool. Um, 
And then Andrew comes in. He's been sort of the marketing product chief for Ranger. So I guess given that's their biggest selling vehicle, I suppose that's a uh, uh, understandable Seems to be promotion. Good match, it? Yeah, yeah, right man for the job, you'd think. Understands their biggest selling vehicle, at least, like in and out. So that's, that's good. But it didn't do, it didn't do uh, Steve Zanlungi any good, did it, at FCA? I mean, he came in mm. as the absolute Jeep authority. He came from the USA, rusted on, no pun intended, um, lifelong Jeep devotee. Um, but that wasn't enough, was it? Uh, he's no. now moved on with, a, with, a, with Kevin Flynn now filling that role. So it's not necessary. Certainly, I agree. It, 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 it seems he's got the, the right credentials, but that is, that is not all it takes to uh, steer forward through what are still some tricky times. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I mean, hopefully, from what, I, from what I know, apparently he's a great guy for customers. Um, you know, maybe not a, I haven't met him, so I might, I might be speaking at a school, but from what I've, I've talked to a couple of people and they said, um, you know, maybe not your sort of diehard car guy necessarily, but um, a great customer guy. And that's the end goal, really. If you're selling cars to customers, you have to know what they want. So that's a, yeah, that's a good sign, I suppose, going forward. Well, with some, with some manufacturers, the product kind of takes care of itself, doesn't it? And, and Correct. I guess with Jeep, you know, they've got a lot of heritage to fall back on. And, and it is that customer angle that is, if you were to identify a fault in the business, lacking at the moment, isn't it? So perhaps they've done the right thing there, getting, uh, getting a guy with a, a sort of laser sharp customer focus in on yeah, the job. Yeah, totally. You're absolutely right, though. I mean, and now we mentioned Kevin Flynn, the new um, CEO and managing director of FCA and Jeep in Australia. Um, I had a chat with him recently. There's a story online, whichcar.com.au right now, if you want to have a read of it. Um, yeah, he, he made exactly the point you just made, Andy. He said, we were, the problem was we were looking at new product, but what we didn't have was the customer support so that even if someone did make the commitment to buy a Jeep or any of the other brands under FCA, they were they were destined for disappointment. So what they've gone back is they've rebuilt what he calls the foundations, and only now do they go right. Let's focus on new product. And incidentally, Compass, which is a, a car he championed in India, um, and took Jeep within three years to be the most trusted automotive brand in India, which is an astonishing achievement um, when you look at what people regard the Jeep the seven slot grill to mean in Australia. It couldn't be more opposite end of the spectrum. It's interesting. Uh, have you guys seen the latest, I mean, we're all getting off topic here, but we're sort of on topic. That latest Jeep ad about, uh, you know, some people bought one and then they all fell apart. And we're sorry about that. So um, how good is that? Like, I mean, uh, that admission of your own problems is, is so, um, so disarming and, and so honest and also, you know, quite approachable i think i never saw tvr bring out an ad like that yeah no you, you know they you don't get ads like that because the tvrs have killed all their owners you know yeah, like they, right. yeah. oh, they weren't in around they weren't we were around up. in a position to complain yes yeah, so, we're sorry we gassed you with carbon monoxide <laughs> <laughs> won't happen again <laughs> Well, what's, what's your, what's your is that, feeling on this, Adam, um, Scott? Andy, oh, well, I think it's, I get the disarmingness of it, but it seems strange to stand in front of customers and go, you can buy a car and it'll probably go wrong, but we've got your, you've got, we've got your back now, which is a nice sentiment, but I don't know. It doesn't really feel like putting their best foot forward. Anyway, let's get back to Ford. We'll talk about Jeep another time. Um, okay. Because I think what Andy said was interesting about some product sells itself. And I think a lot of 
the problem for Ford over time has been the product has been very good, but no one's bought it. And I still think that's necessarily, you know, you can argue about best in class and all sorts of, lots of stuff, but you know, you focus very good. Um, Endura and stuff. I don't have a lot of um, experience with, but I think it's, you know, it's got its virtues, but no one tends to buy it. That's been a problem going back for, you know, Falcon territory and stuff like that. Um, apart from Ranger and Mustang basically. So I guess can, Andrew lift some of those products up and put them in customers front of mind. So they're not just the Ranger and Mustang car company, because I think they do need to divert as well as those products are going and have continued to go. Surely they need to diversify to sustain that success or grow further. Well, I agree, but I mean, is, is Ford going to continue down the rumoured path that it will become an SUV only with the exception, obviously, of Mustang, which would be silly to, to drop. I mean, but although that said, we have now seen an SUV version of the Mustang. So you mm. could include that brand under the same SUV only halo. I mean, um, other companies like Mitsubishi are, are pretty much at that point now. Do you think Andrew's going to perhaps put a little more effort or steering into the, into the, to the, um, the outcome that Ford may be an SUV only su supplier provider. I think this is an SUV strong market, but the, the, the fact of the matter is in this country, compared to many other countries around the world, uh, vehicles like the Focus and the Fiesta, which are excellent vehicles underperform. Mm. Um, they, they should be doing better here people should be buying more of these cars. And whether that's a communications issue, um, whether it's uh, pricing and strategy features in the market, it's, it's open to question, but that's, that's what his job is to find out. Um, I think it's a capitulation to just say, the only thing Australians want are SUVs. Sure, focus on them as your, as your prime regard, but don't, don't drop everything else. Yeah, I mean, but it's interesting, that, and to Dan's point is that under, well, under K, obviously it wasn't Andrew, but under K, that they took big steps in that direction. Obviously, Fiesta, only the ST came. Thank God it did, 18 months late, but it got there in the end, because um, that's awesome. I uh, haven't driven Focus ST yet, but apparently that's very good. So yep. there still is a Focus range, but I don't know if many people buy it. So essentially, Ford's offering is already... SUVs with a couple of performance cars. So I guess they don't have to go very far down that path to finish the job. But how do you ever go about answering that, what has so far proven to be a completely unanswerable question? Are customers only buying SUVs in, in large numbers because that's all they've got? Or are the manufacturers simply responding to demand? The manufacturers always say, well, we wouldn't be making all these SUVs if people didn't want to buy them. But I think there's still a little bit of the, the inverse playing. I think, you know, people, if you went out and said, all right, you've got 50 grand to buy a new car now, you go, into, you go to the back of Wheels magazine and you look through the, the um, data bank and you'd see that probably, you know, 60, 70% of the cars on offer are all SUV. So I disagree when they say this is just the manufacturers responding to consumer demand. I think consumers look at the market as a whole, not particularly brand loyal customers, and they go, well, Bugger me, I've only got SUVs to choose from. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if, if I buy a wagon, you know, how am I going to sell that to when 80% of people are looking for SUVs? You know, it, it is an issue. Well, that's the thing. Five Series Touring uh, in the update has been knocked on the head. So uh, that's another, another wagon option that um, 
is going the way of the dodo in Australia. Um, how the mighty have fallen. I mean, obviously, you know, we. How often would it be that we bring up the the old E thirty four M five Touring? You know, it's yeah. one of the greatest cars of all. You know, it's just. It is interesting. Though. I did a. I did a review recently. Um, this is sort of goes well with your point, Dan, about whether is it chicken or the egg? Is it the consumer or is it the the company just offering? But uh, I drove a three thirty i Touring. Great car. Really liked it. You know, it's one of those cars that you go well. This does everything a really a car should ever really need to do. But if you look at, you can get the equivalent X3, um, which, you know, is worse. It doesn't handle as well. It's not as efficient as everything, like, but it is a few grand cheaper, like for like. So if you gave the customer, if you gave that sort of non-loyal customer, non-enthusiast customer choice, even if the cars were exactly the same, they're probably going to choose the cheaper one and the fact that that one is apparently, you know, we don't have kids, but apparently, you know, an SUV is an easier car to live with in that sense, you know, putting stuff in, putting shopping in, putting kids in, um, even though the actual space, the actual luggage space isn't any, any bigger, but still, um, I think maybe even those companies that are still offering traditional choices, wagons, whether through, volumes or you know economies of scale or anything but the suv is usually this i suppose the financially more sensible choice now so you can't really blame people for going with it so yeah, anyone look, who's look at alpha with the uh, with the stelvio you know wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. it have been cool to see a julia wagon yep i'm sure you, you almost think that that could have been a very low budget addition to the range alongside Julia Sedan and stuff. There isn't, there isn't even one in Europe, bother. is there? A Julia Estate no. touring wagon. No. no, no, and cars like the um, Passat All Track wagon that got binned off today in Europe, I think. Oh, it's such a shame because to me, another. that's the uh, that's the sweet spot between SUV and wagon. Like, I get it. Sometimes you need a wall drive and extra ground clearance if you go to the snow mm. or horse riding or whatever. And you know, Audi All Road, Passat All Track. Um, Holden mm. Adventure. It was too, it's too, too early. <laughs> um, they're, they're the real sweet spot. They, they still got better dynamics. They're more like a car to drive, but you get the extra space and extra. But everybody ignores them. I'll tell you something shocking. Um, I've got a, a, a Nissan Duke uh, TI as a long termer, like a microscopic SUV, and uh, 999cc is 84 rippling kilowatts. And uh, <laughs> The price, the price tag of this thing, when I, when I looked it up, it's 37 grand. And it's, it's basically, basically a, a jacked up super mini, really, a, a small one litre super mini, 37 grand. And you can oh. buy yourself a Golf 132 TSI with four wheel drive, <laughs> a wagon for less. Yeah. That would get you a lot of Octavia as well, which is enormous yeah. inside. I got the true, might even yeah. get you a superb, I suppose, like a base superb. Anyway. Um, yeah, so well, there you go. But um, you, you guys probably feel similar questions um, as I do about people, fr mostly friends and family, saying, you know, I've got to get a new car. What shall I have? And more than more than two or three times, quite recently, I've had friends message me and say, Oh, I've got a, um, I'm going to buy a new car. I want a, I want a small SUV. Or I want a mid-sized SUV. What do you recommend? There's a bit Audi more RS6. But then. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> But then, so the first question I always shoot back straight away is, 
oh, what, why have you arrived at the decision of a, of a mid-sized SUV or a small SUV? And no one has a good answer. Yeah. They don't, no one knows why they want an SUV. And then you're like, you, you feed them a little bit of rope and they go, oh, oh, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, it's the, the high, high ground clearance and the, oh, it's easy to load things in and out. But they weren't thinking that before you actually gave them the, the, the bit of a prompt. So the, I honestly think people are just sort of like sheep when it comes to, to buying SUVs. They don't really know why they want one. They just think it's a good idea because everyone does it. A little bit, I think, among, it's ironic because the small SUV amongst enthusiasts, I guess people like us, is a bit shunned. It's like, well, why, why would you? But I think it's actually got quite a bit of cool factor amongst regular people. For instance, my, my partner, we bought, um, she bought a i30. I sort of said, buy that, reliable, you know, safe, very good. Or you're on your own. own. Yeah, <laughs> but she really wants a Kona. You know, the, right. Kona, the Kona does exactly the same thing that her car does already. I mean, but she really wants a Kona just because she likes the way it looks and, you know, it thinks it's cool. And, um, you know, same thing, I'm sure, Master 3 versus CX-3 or CX-5. Um, I think there's just a, they've got a bit of a halo effect to them now. Um, yeah, I don't know, don't know why, but they do. Well, we were talking a couple of weeks back on Which Car Weekly about the sound of electric cars, how, you know, Ford's, we were talking about it before, the, the electrified Mustang they built a one-off for. It sounded insane. And, you know, we, we raised the, the, the argument, maybe that's what cars will sound like. Well, sorry, that's, that's what a new generation of car enthusiasts want cars to sound like, like a, a whining supercharger without the engine attached yeah. to it. You know, maybe, maybe as you're exactly right, Scott. You know, we're now looking at a new generation of, of um, car enthusiasts that do care about cars, but they don't think coupes look nice and they don't think, you know, wagons look good. They think SUVs look good. Yeah, it reminds me, we had a young guy, um, 14 or 15-year-old, right into motor um, and say, you know, love the mag and all that sort of stuff. But his dream car was a Macan Turbo. Like his dream oh. car. It wasn't a wow. 5LT or a Enzo or something. He really, really wanted a Macan Turbo. So, yeah, it's, um, that's why, I mean, at motor, we were going to do performance car, performance SUV of the year this year um, before the world turned upside down. Um, maybe that's why, because we wanted to do that. COVID was unleashed. Um, but, and a lot of people, you know, our diehards railed into us and said, oh, what are you doing that, blah, blah, blah. But I, at some point as media, it's our ability to just, you know, if, if that's what people are buying and that's what people are interested in, that's what we have to cover. So it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's the onus yeah. on us to report as we find for the vast majority of people, so. And I, I, I don't buy into this whole thing that just because something's an SUV, it can't be good fun. You know, I drove mm. BMW X4. Yeah, that's um, definitely not true anymore. It's, it's huge fun. It's, uh, you know, it does 103.7. It, it handles. It's, you know, you can punt it up and down the road at Falls Creek and have a, a whale of a time in it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you, know, you, can, you, you can make the argument, is it as fun as a, you know, a three series? Maybe not, but it's still fun. And I totally agree. And yeah, more, you, more power to anyone who wants one. I, that's what I say. Yeah, uh, fair enough. I, it's just, yeah, I suppose where I get a little bit antsy and, you know, standing on my tea chest is that I totally agree with you, Andy. You, you, you cannot deny the fact that an SUV definitely deserves to wear the performance badge where it's been designed and engineered to do exactly that. The thing that really gets me is when it comes down to the decision process. You know, a lot of mm. people will say, oh, I want an SUV for all of, you know, the off-road and all that stuff. And we know damn well that people absolutely don't. They're kidding themselves and it won't ever see anything more challenging than a muddy soccer field. But to so be that's probably where, 
to be devil's advocate though, what about all those people buying 911 GT3s that never go near a racetrack? <laughs> Do they exist? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. How many uh, how many Ferrari four eight eights go go the far side of pit lane? Um, more and more, thankfully, but many just uh, live their life at you know for the, all the people that buy defenders and Wranglers yeah. and take their kids to school. Like it's the same as people who drive you know get a four eight eight or an Aventador to drive at sixty k's an hour. So I suppose mm. you know we have to sometimes topple off our high horses as car you know car enthusiasts. Well, I'll leave you to do that job, Scott. I'm not about to be <laughs> Well, that is, that's the challenge that, uh, that the new Ford CEO, Ford Australia CEO, has to, uh, has to rise to and a very difficult uh, time and troubled waters to navigate. So um, good luck to, to Andrew, however you pronounce your surname. We're going to move on to something a little bit different now, gentlemen. Um, something very different, in fact. Now, yes. we love talking about ridiculous cars. Um, and after the most painfully long gestation and... <laughs> Um, a, a ridiculously protracted amount of teasing um, one of what is looking like, tell me if I'm wrong, one of the most significant cars in decades has finally been revealed. It is, of course, Gordon Murray's latest um, production. Um, he's called it something which is a typically engineering e-name. It's called the GMA T05. Well done, mate. You completely P50. failed on that. Like, P.50. Yeah. Um, it's called so because it's his 50th car, apparently, and it's, he's been doing this for 50 years. So that's, let me just do the maths. That's, hang on, it's, it's about, um, it's, it's one a year. That's brilliant. <laughs> he's Scott, very you wrote a brilliant story on this. Um, you know how, like, you know, people say you never read to the end of a, to the last part of a story. That's largely true, apart from when I read this. I read it several times through. This It was compelling and um, addictive all the way through. Tell us a little bit about Gordon Murray's car. Well, uh, I'd like to claim that was because of my outstanding writing, but it was just because there's so much juicy stuff in this car. It's, um, oh, and it's, how? I don't even know where to start. Essentially, like, for, for people who are unaware, uh, it's essentially the successor to the McLaren F1. It's got nothing to do with McLaren, but it has equally come from the brain of Gordon Murray and its entire reason for being is driver involvement and driving pleasure. Uh, for instance, there is no acceleration claims. There is no top speed claims because Gordon says he doesn't care. He doesn't care how fast it is. And it is, you know, it will be ludicrously fast because it has 500 kilowatts and weighs under a ton. But, um, and that's what I really love about this. Everything, everything it does and everything it can do is just a function of the right engineering. Um, yeah. It hasn't... Like if you, oh, you know, you flip it around and you go, the Bugatti Veyron had to have a thousand horsepower and it had to do 400 Ks an hour. It was, you know, ham it was defined by its targets and therefore it needed to weigh two tons and whatever and have a 10 radiators and all this. You compromise if you have to hit a certain target. Um, it's good to have targets, of course, in some, some respects, but... Um, there's so much to go through. Where do we, what I want to ask first is, what do you think about this car, Andy? Because a lot of people have been frothing about it, me too, but some people have been said, oh, who cares? You know, it's just another supercar or whatever. So um, I haven't, haven't seen any thoughts of you on this car. So, Yeah, I find myself veering all over the place on this car, actually. It's quite interesting. Um, I, I absolutely, 
you know, take my hat off to, to Gordon Murray's vision and his expertise in, in building the car. And it is a, a towering technical achievement that he's um, done in partnership with some real top draw suppliers. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you think, well, you know, does the world need another 2.8 million pound hypercar? Um, and the irony of this vehicle is that for all of the focus on function, you know it will never be used. You know it will be bought by speculators who have looked at the price of McLaren F1s these days and said, you know, what is it, 4.8 million Aussie dollars is the, the conversion rate? I don't yep. know. They'll see that and think, hang on a second, this thing's going to be worth $50 million in 30 <laughs> years' time. You know, um, And so, so while it's laudable in that regard that he has this focus, I, I, I still feel slightly sad that the net result of all that focus is going to be something that will just sit in a, a dehumidified garage somewhere. And, it is and the, other thing, the other thing that's disappointing about its, its very nature is that at least with other cars, supercars, race cars, you can argue that the technology that's been developed and is held within them will eventually trickle down into road cars. And you can kind of say, okay, completely unnecessary, totally out of my price bracket and most other people's means. But at least one day you'll see electrification and you know all those kind of things and those advances in cars that you will be able to afford. This car is different because he's saying it's the last of its kind. You won't be able to do naturally aspirated anymore. You won't be able to do three seats. You, won't, you know, like he's basically saying it's point. A manual gearbox. Yeah. Yeah. Manual gearbox. It's, a, it's, a, it's not a pioneer of anything. It's actually a dinosaur already because it's marking the end of everything that he's done in his career. So I find it disappointing in that regard. Um, but the it's other half thing. It's easy. Mr. Inwood, our esteemed wheels editor, had a similar uh, thought when I, you know, put a post up he said you know I want to love it but it's kind of I feel like I've seen it all before like where's the innovation and I get that and I find it interesting actually I don't think it's actually that good looking it's kind of a bit anonymous in some respects um very much, yeah. but what I I'll, I'll offer a counterpoint whether it's you know a valid one or not what I love about this car is that the ethos behind it is universal you could take the same idea behind this car and apply it to an suv i mean gordon's been trying to make a city car with this ethos for 20 years and we still haven't seen it apart from a couple of prototypes no one's prepared to take it on board the um the ice stream manufacturing process and stuff like that so it's it's like a it's like a vision that's created a supercar and i understand why because that's then he gets all the headlines and stuff like that but for me, it's the ideas behind it is minimalism. It's clever packaging. It's clever use of materials. It's eliminating waste. Because, um, I mean, we can talk about the headline figures. I'll run through them quickly. So it's a 4-litre V12, 12,100 RPM, 488 kilowatts, <laughs> um, six-speed manual gearbox. The whole car weighs wet. So it's 957 kilograms dry, 986 kilograms wet. So even with oil cool wow. and stuff like that it's under a ton um uh geared to 392 k's an hour it'll probably do it the uh, most amazing thing about it of course is the it's got a massive fan on the back 400 millimeter fan driven by an electric motor that accelerates air under the car to create downforce so you don't need any wings so you don't need the weight of wings you don't need the drag of wings um the fan basically funnels air through a diffuser 
and puts the centre of pressure right in the middle of the car. So you don't need front wings to balance the back or back wings to balance the front. It basically sucks the car to the ground uh, and can also reduce drag. But anyway, for me, the most amazing thing, this car is basically pretty much exactly the same size as a Porsche Cayman, which isn't a big car. It's a fairly small sports car. But it's got room for three, three adults, and a four-litre V12 packaged and, and <laughs> 288 litres of luggage. Oh, sorry, no, 228 litres of luggage space. Like, every car can learn something from that. It doesn't matter yeah, whether some it's of the big SUV or... principles, a, yeah, yeah, I mean, don't get obviously, old, do they? obviously part, of that, part of that size has been um, made possible by using carbon fibre, like the latest in carbon fibre, to make sure that you don't need big structures to get the stiffness and stuff like that. But, I mean, Gordon's improved with other projects that if you use... I can't remember what it was now. It was like paper, I think. It was like a paper composite that was essentially as stiff and light as um, carbon fiber, but it might, you know, it cost virtually nothing to put together. It was like the same sort of sandwich honeycomb thing. Um, so th- I guess that's my takeaway. It's, I feel like we see these latest hypercars, like you were talking about then, like say like the Lotus Avaya, which is f- showing future technology, but you know, it's heavy. Uh, it's compromised in, you know, it's, it, which compromises its dynamics, its performance, its packaging and all like that. Like that. I feel like it's telling that Gordon Murray's like daily driver at the moment is now P&A 110. Yeah, yeah. There's a man who's willing to make compromises. Yeah, he, he... I feel like while we're going down this electrification route and we need to do it, I feel like we could still have many substantial gains by sort of fixing the problems with the cars we've already got, you know? Yeah. yeah. And things that yeah. aren't two metres wide and but going back, six metres long. Going back, to what, going back to what Alex said, though, um, is there not a case to say that many of these uh, timeless lessons that, that, that go forward from this, we already knew from the hmm. McLaren F1 in terms of packaging, in terms of practicality, in terms of yeah. lightweight, in terms of purity of, you know, controls and, and so on and so forth. Um, are you not just buying the most expensive Betamax video recorder in the show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, potentially. I mean, I, I don't know. Part of me would have loved to have seen this car. You know, it's a fair point, and it would have been great to see a car that they made ten thousand of and cost a hundred thousand dollars. You know, okay, it's it's nine hundred eighty six kilos with a V twelve in it. Could they have made a? mild hybrid two-litre four-cylinder made the car even smaller or more luggage space and had a car that does zero to 104 seconds yet uses six litres per 100k but then you become koenigsegg <laughs> yeah well, potentially yeah <laughs> yeah or then um, you just would argue you're that... making an alpine a110 really uh, only a, a more clever one i suppose i'm going to sort of contradict my own argument here and and, and answer again going back to alex's point um there is development and there is innovation in this car, um, which you can learn from and go forward, even though it doesn't necessarily have a battery in it or it's hybridized or something like that. The thing you can learn from it is, of course, if, if these manufacturing techniques were available back when the McLaren F1 was designed mm-hmm. in the 90s, early 90s, mm-hmm. you'd be looking at the T50 back then. So, yes. But of course you couldn't build it back then because as Gordon says, you couldn't do yeah. everything 
like that we've just done. So the innovation in this car is not a big chunk of metal somewhere in the car. It's, it's tiny little things like, you know, making the accelerator out of, ti accelerator out of titanium, but the brake and clutch out of alloy. And, you know, and these tiny little developments and optimizations, that, that's the, the evolution and the genius in it. I think. Yeah, it, it, it strikes me that Gordon Murray has gone through a process, a thought process, almost akin to what Ian Callum went through with the, with the Aston Vanquish. Mm whereby yeah. he had created something that in ways that were unacceptable to him were compromised, whether that be through budget time, political um, machinations or whatever. And that has rankled with him for years. And he's now gone back and fixed it. Yes. Um, and I, I, do, I do really like that. And one of the things that I really loved that I didn't know until yesterday was that, was that uh, you know, we make great... Uh, interest in this fan on the back of the t50 that breaks up that boundary layer on the on the diffuser and venturi um and i was watching the harry's garage video and uh harry metcalf sort of bumbling around charmingly as he does at the back of the car and mentions the fan and it's the first one on a road car and, and gordon murray pulls him up and says well no actually the the f1 had two of them yeah and, uh, <laughs> and harry's like what <laughs> and uh yeah he said it had two i think 140 millimeter yep fans that that, that uh, helped the rear diffuser which was normally at a too steep an angle for the air to stick to it to work and that reduced uh, increased downforce by five kilos i think and uh and reduced drag as well so very uh very interesting yeah, that's, uh, that's right i remember i've actually i haven't watched all that video yet but i've watched some of it and it was but then again we talk about the limitations of technology because the suspension to keep the suspension soft enough for ride quality or something, you couldn't have any more downforce on it because it would compress the suspension too much yes. and you'd run yeah. out of travel yeah. at 230 yeah. miles an hour. Whereas obviously now they've got the control to have the extra downforce well without, you know, and still have that ride comfort. Um, I mean, it's part of a, um, it's part of a slight shift though of hypercar manufacturers away from the, you know, the dick swinging contest, which I really like, you know, Koenigsegg's announced enough is enough. They've gone in a different yeah. direction now for the next one. Um, the speed tail obviously could go faster, but they weren't prepared to compromise the rest of the car. Yeah. The McLaren speed tail to make it go 450 or whatever. They said, okay, 400 is more than enough. And would rather have a car that works on the road. You know, it's got suppleness and it's got, um, you know, efficiency and stuff like that, which I think is, you know, I find something like the speed tower so much more exciting and so much more interesting than just another car that's meant to go fast as fast as possible around yeah. a circuit or something. Because if you want to go faster around a circuit, buy a racing car. Like these cars are meant to work on the road. Um, they're meant to have, and that's the thing with the, you know, the, that SF90 Ferrari, which as fantastic as it is, and it, it's got no luggage space and you know, I might say who cares, but if your car, if you have nothing, if you have nowhere to put anything in your car, you can't use it. Like yeah. you can't yeah. go anywhere in it, go anywhere in it. So I seriously hope, speaking of the fan, I really hope that that fan's electric motor is an item on the service checklist because you know, someone's going to go through a corner one day at 200 kilometers an hour and the bastard's going to seize up. And they're going to have <laughs> no downforce. It's going to be like driving a high aero car and all of the wings suddenly come off and they yeah. will instantly explode. I do have one other problem with the car as well, which I'm going to quickly touch on. The colour of the seats. Right. Why would I have a problem with that, gentlemen? Well, the middle one's orange. What colour are they? So it looks... Mm. 
The middle one's yes, orange, so it looks like a single seater, whereas the other two oh. are blended in. Yeah, okay. So it's the middle seat I have a particular qualm um, and umbrage with. It's orange, which is McLaren's colour. All right, oh. back off, Murray. Back off, yeah. Murray. You know Bruce. You know what I mean? That was his colour, all right? And it's <laughs> McLaren's colour. You can't just come wandering in here with your boring names and take up, you know, someone else's perfectly good identity. Come up with your own colour. What about Tiffany's green for you? That would be lovely. Yeah, very good. Orange. Okay. That's Donald Trump's colour. Yeah. <laughs> no, same, same age as Donald Trump. Would you believe that? Very, very yeah. obviously similar mental acuity. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. A lot better. So it's seventy-four years old. Looks good on it, doesn't he? Bloody yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, there we are, gentlemen. We've learned a lot. Uh, most notably, how lovely it is to get us all back chatting again. Yay! Um, we will endeavour to do this again in approximately seven days. So. Um, if you'd like to get back in touch with us then or listen in, please do. If, you, if you're craving more of our voices or any of our other fine guests, then look back over the 60-odd episodes we've, we've published before. Um, and if you'd like to get in touch, uh, the social medias is probably the best way. Witchcar AU is uh, the Facebooks, I think, and for everything else, it's just at Witchcar. The website, witchcar.com.au. And why not buy a mag? It's still a good way of seeing all of these glorious pictures of new cars and more. Um, gentlemen, thank you so much. It's great talking to you. Until next time, drive safely. Arigatou gozaimasu.